0: My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, and they obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Also, they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, and they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body And sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father. With it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And Father... Help us now as we open the word of God as an act of continual worship towards you as we sang and prayed and worshiped in other ways. We want to worship now by giving our attention and the responsiveness of our heart and soul and mind and spirit to the truth of your word that your Holy Spirit who inspired it may speak to us what we need to hear for our lives to be helped, Lord. And to hear what you would say to us, speak to us now, we ask, bless your word by your spirit's ministry, and we pray this believing such in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Now, what do you think is perhaps one of the most, perhaps influential or impactful capabilities that we have as human beings? think you could put a couple different things in that list, but I think certainly the ability of the use of our words has got to rank really high up there. The ability to have impact, to really influence something, the power to have a real impact on a situation, to say things with our mouths is probably one of the most impactful capabilities that every human being possesses. And that's really what the text is about this morning. James, as we have seen studying it, is a very practical book. It's kind of a no-nonsense section of scripture it's filled with nuggets of wisdom kind of nuts and bolts instructions on how to live properly or to live the mature life as a christian and james doesn't pull any punches or mince words he kind of just says things very directly and in this section he now tackles the subject of the use of our tongues and what we say and the impact of what we say and speak you look with me in verse 1 he begins by first addressing saying my brethren let not many of you become teachers those who use their mouths to instruct others knowing he says that we shall receive a stricter judgment so the first thing James does here in this topic of our speech and using our tongue is he cautions regarding the responsibility and the accountability that is very serious and connected to the position of being someone who gives spiritual instruction to other people. You notice in verse 1 there, he speaks of becoming teachers. Now, whether that would be in the capacity of being a pastor teacher, of someone who teaches a church or a congregation regularly, Whether it's someone who maybe communicates in a Bible college capacity or maybe someone who teaches the children in a Sunday school class at different age groups or someone who teaches youth ministry or college Bible studies or maybe somebody who does a home fellowship and teaches a small group Bible study to a group of individuals in a home or maybe a a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study. The reality is God's word is intended not only just to be read personally by people, but God also intends that his word would also be taught and expounded publicly. This is the will of God and it is one of the purposes that God's word has been given to us. Certainly, we should all read it individually and let God speak to us, but God wants his word to be taught as well. He desires that his word that has been given would be explained, that it would be applied in ways whereby people are able to sort of more deeply grasp the truths and the promises and the revelations that are given to us in the written word of God. And this is one of the primary ways that God helps his people to mature and to grow. This is one of the ways God helps his people to stay healthy spiritually and to be able to know God on a deeper level through the teaching of the word of God, through the explanation and instruction of the scriptures, through gifted individuals who God allows the opportunity and gives the spiritual capability to communicate and expound and explain his word to his people, whereby we can be equipped and prepared how to live right and serve the Lord. And this is one of many Spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit enablements that are given to the people of God as Christians, as believers, when we accept Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives with that experience, we are also all given at least one, the Bible says, if not more, spiritual giftings from the Lord that we should use in a faithful manner. And one of those giftings is the spiritual gift of teaching. That is that supernatural enablement to be able to prepare and organize thoughts and ideas that are supplied by the Lord through that preparation process, and then to convey those thoughts and to convey those things that God would want to be said under the power, the anointing of His Spirit speaking through us as we communicate And God's word is explained to people. Ephesians 4 tells us that God has given teachers among the body of Christ in various capacities and forms. And again, this can be in the role of a pastor teacher. It can come in the role of someone who teaches, again, in a Sunday school class or teaches women in a women's ministry or a men's ministry in different forms and capacities. That gift operates in different ways, the gift of teaching. And that role and position of teaching God's Word and explaining spiritual truths, what James is reminding us here is not something that anyone should enter into lightly without a proper awareness of really all that that role entails. For it carries, the Bible says here, a greater responsibility spiritually in direct connection to that particular gift. And this particular gift, we see this connection to a greater spiritual responsibility. You see what he says there in the text in verse one? He says, knowing that we shall receive those who teach the word of God, a stricter judgment. Now, that would diminish real quick. We have to keep that out when we ask for Sunday school teachers once in a while, because that will make people not want to sign up. But this is the truth of the Word of God. He says, listen, those of us who teach the Word of God, we will be judged more strictly. That's why he says, not many, that is not everyone or lots of people, should just quickly become teachers. And I think this is important. The implied idea is it shouldn't just be something that's entered into casually, nor even for a wrong motive. Uh, Again, maybe because somebody just has a natural personality trait where they like to talk. So somebody likes to talk. Well, maybe I should be a Bible teacher then because I like to talk. Or maybe somebody has a, a personality trait where they're just a very social individual. Or they, some people, quite frankly, enjoy standing before people. We've all been at occasions before where somebody has an open mic for something, whether it's an event or a funeral. And you can tell sometimes somebody gets behind a mic and just they were just waiting for an opportunity. Because they just like to stand before people and and these should never be motives or reasons or you like to be in charge that a person would enter into being a teacher of the word of God. That's why he says there, not many should just rush into this. Now, please note, he does not say not any. He just says not many because the truth of the matter is God does call and gift certain believers to be teachers of his word. And those who do receive that gifting from the Lord in whatever way it's to operate in their ministry in various levels and forms, those individuals should embrace that and they should faithfully fulfill that ministry and that responsibility from the Lord to help his people. Again, whether it's small little sheep or whether it's big groups of of believers or whether in whatever capacity... If God wants you to help his people by teaching his word in whatever way, you should do that faithfully with whatever stewardship God gives to you or sphere of influence he allows you to do that in. And if that is what he calls you to do, you should do it faithfully. Yet there's an important awareness one must accept with this ministry. Those of us who teach the Bible saying will be held to a higher level of accountability a higher level of accountability for our own lives because if we know something well enough as a teacher to be able to instruct others and if we think certain truths from God's word are important enough to take the time to explain them to other people and God gives us the privilege whether it be one person, 10 people or a 100 or a 1,000 people to actually give us their attention so that we can speak to them the things that we believe God has shown to us then you better believe God expects us to be committed to living those things out in our own lives. That if we find that we're able to teach others about them, certainly we should be committed to living them. He will expect more of us in our level of obedience to spiritual truths and to biblical understandings because we know them well enough to convey them to others, which means two things. First of all, we are going to be judged more strictly by God. God's going to hold us to a higher standard. He's going to require more of us, be more strict in his expectations. Due to that role, he will hold me to a higher standard. He will hold me to a higher standard than the person perhaps who's not communicating the word of God. And that means, therefore, if I'm going to be a teacher of the word of God, I may not have all the same freedoms that every other believer does because of the role and the ministry that i've taken upon myself before the lord as a teacher a public servant of the lord we may need to refrain from certain things at times we may need to live a little more strict life in the area of liberties and freedoms what is right and wrong for us may be a little bit more strict Than it is for the general believer, because our life is to represent a standard, and God also will be more strict with us if and when we err and when we do what's wrong, because we know better. We know the truth of the Word of God, and we're seeking to be a representative of it, and we have a greater impact upon people because of the representation of who we are as a teacher, a leader, a public servant of the Lord. So we need to be willing to accept that responsibility. That goes with the territory. And we also will receive not just a stricter judgment from God, but we're also going to receive a stricter judgment from people. And that just goes with the territory. Now, listen, by all means, our listeners, if we are teachers of the word of God, are going to expect more and better from us as teachers. And that's normal. That is totally appropriate to some degree. Now, that being said, certainly no one is perfect. We know that. The best men are still men at best, but the reality is for those of us who are going to teach the word of God to people who are going to lead, who are going to minister again in whatever capacity, we should be held to a higher standard of Christian conduct and spiritual living. People should expect more of us. They should require more of us because we're not only to teach with our mouths, but we're supposed to be teaching with our lives, by our examples, by what we represent of living out the things that we want to explain and share with others. So let me just say before we move on, if you desire to teach the Word of God in whatever way, you desire to be in public ministry, you desire to stand before people in any capacity, whether it's a group of six-year-olds or 16-year-olds, and whether it's before six people or 60 people. If you desire to do such a thing, it's a wonderful thing, but please know, make sure you're willing to live out your spiritual life to a higher degree of spiritual commitment because there will be a stricter judgment. It goes with the process and it's a privilege that carries a great responsibility. So be prayerful entering into such a role. And I would just say, listen, if you're not willing to accept all that's connected to the call, it would be better to either just refrain from that particular area of ministry. There are other areas of serving and ministering. Or if you're not willing to accept and embrace all that goes with the call, for some, sometimes they need to remove themselves from that ministry. Because what you're saying carries a lot of weight and there is going to be a stricter judgment. And you don't want to toy with that before the Lord. You want to be careful in that area. Now to quickly clear up, James is not saying that anyone could be perfect or faultless he goes on in verse two to say very clearly for we all that means everybody stumble in many things including himself james admits that everyone despite how hard we try to walk in the spirit to serve the lord eventually we're all at times gonna stumble everybody's gonna slip everybody's gonna fall on occasion trip up periodically we're gonna fail and falter The reality is this, making mistakes is part of living. It's part of living. Making mistakes. Human beings are sinful by nature, the Bible teaches. It is natural to stumble in our thoughts. It's natural to trip up at times in our words. That's what this passage is all about. It's understandable and normal that we are going to fail and stumble at times in our actions. And this is one area where there's absolutely no difference among every human soul on this planet. We all fail at times. We all have shortcomings. Everybody makes mistakes in life in many different ways. No one person is faultless. That's the reason one faultless son of God came to this earth as a man to resolve the problem of a bunch of faulty people and to meet the heavenly requirement and then die in our place upon the cross so that the punishment we deserve could be put upon him and the innocence, holiness, righteousness and sinlessness that's necessary to get into heaven, Jesus lived out as a man and he can supply to us being God and being man, the mediator between God and men. And it is healthy for us, let me emphasize, healthy for us to remember what verse 2 says there about ourselves that we all stumble in many things. Because that helps us to keep a right perspective toward ourselves and towards others. It keeps us humble in our attitude towards other people. There are some of you this morning, I am certain, who are here, and perhaps currently something has happened recently, and you are very frustrated at the failure of someone else, and they stumbled or failed or done something, and it's it's really torqued you, and you're really frustrated with it. Hey, can I remind you something? We all stumble in many things. Remember that. Perhaps there are some of you here this morning as well. And it's also helpful to remember this because this keeps us from overly condemning ourselves. And maybe recently you stumbled. Maybe recently you stumbled and tripped up, made a mistake or two or four. And it's bothering you and plaguing you and you're condemning yourself and beating yourself up. Hey, can I remind you, we all stumble in many ways. The wonderful thing is, the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, and when we stumble and fail as Christians, we know where the antidote is. The antidote is in Jesus. The Bible tells us, 1 John 1 9, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, if you've stumbled recently, don't overly condemn yourself call upon the lord confess what you've done and believe in faith what he did was sufficient and receive his forgiveness and receive his cleansing and know that it's gone our stumbling and our tripping up james says happens in many different things many different ways and now what he's going to do going on is to zero in on one of the main and foremost ways that we all tend to stumble usually the most and that's in our words stumbling on our words and speech is probably one of the most frequent ways we trip up and fail in life he says verse 2 going on if anyone does not stumble in word he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body one of the hardest areas we'd all have to agree to get real victory in our lives in is being able to, to maintain control in the area of our speech it is very challenging not to stumble in this area we find ourselves way more often than we like to tripping up sticking our foot in our mouth saying something did i say that out loud you know just and and so often we all find ourselves doing this saying things that we wish we didn't say there are so many ways we could <laughs> so many ways that we can fail with our speech gossip or slander or a harsh word or cat passing on a rumor or misguiding something. There are so many ways, you know, bragging about ourselves. I mean, all the different ways, vulgarity, foul language, we just, an infinitum, there are so many different ways that our mouths can cause us to make a mistake and to stumble. And, and he says here in verse two, if anyone does not stumble in a word, He's like a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. Now, that word perfect there does not mean faultless or without failure the way we think of the word perfect when we hear it. That word perfect there is a Greek term that means to bring to maturity or to draw along into completeness, to bring something to its full potential. The idea is what he's trying to say is when a person begins to experience in their spiritual walk a greater ability to bridle, to control, to restrain their speech and they begin to develop a greater capacity to not stumble and fail in their speech department as often he's trying to say that person's really starting to grow in spiritual maturity. They're starting to see their whole life come under the power of the spirit. The word bridle speaks of const- you know, controlling and restraining something. He's saying if you begin to learn how to control and restrain this thing called your mouth, and he says, when you begin to develop that, that's a mark that you're now beginning to really let the Holy Spirit have complete control of your entire life because that's a real achievement. That's a real indication the Spirit is really having an overall control because our words are such a constant, easy stumbling block. Proverbs ten nineteen says this, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Man, what a good Bible verse. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. What that's trying to say is typically the longer we talk, the greater the percentage that we're probably going to start sinning with our mouths. Or the more we say that one extra statement, have to get the last word in. Or, you know, the, and, and he said, look, the more frequently we're talking, our chance of sinning just increases. And then he says, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Someone who knows when to restrain, to just not say something or to cut off what they're saying, to end a conversation. He says, that's a mark of wisdom when we begin to learn this. That's why James said back in chapter one, remember, he said to be quick to listen and slow, slow to speak. Well, James then goes on verse three to say, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn the whole body of a horse look also at ships he says verse 4 although they are so large and driven by fierce winds they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires so james now begins to give some analogies or illustrations the first one shows how something very small has incredible power Incredible power to turn something, to influence something, to steer something in a certain direction. The first one he mentions in verse 3 is the power of that little piece of metal, the bit that's used in a strong horse's mouth. That little piece of metal, that bit that's there and how it's able to be used to turn the horse whatever direction the rider wants. And this strong horse is either restrained and held back or it's powerfully controlled in its impact and influence when it's used. And he says in the same way, think about a massive ship on the seas with fierce winds and currents and this tiny little rudder that's used to actually be the thing that the pilot can use to overcome powerful currents and direct the ship so that it goes wherever he wants it to go, or to redirect the ship to get it back on course if it's heading in the wrong direction to change its course or move it to a new direction. Now, with those analogies of those little things having such power to control, to steer, to guide, to change the direction, he then says, verse five, the personal application, even so, in the same way, our tongue, this tiny little thing, is a little member in the body, but yet it boasts, it accomplishes, he says, some pretty great big things. And he draws the picture now, just like that little bit or rudder can turn and powerfully direct things. He says in the same way, this little tiny muscle in our mouth, our tongue that helps us articulate words and speak, he says has incredibly powerful influence when it's used by us, both for good and for bad. And we've all seen that. You know, our tongue, our words can steer the direction of a situation They can steer the direction of a relationship depending upon what we say and even more than that, depending upon sometimes just how we say it. It's not even just what we say. Sometimes even just how we say something has an incredible ability to really steer the direction of a situation or steer the direction of a relationship. Our tongue can also turn and change the direction of something. No matter how strong the momentum or the force that is coming against us or the resistance, our tongue has the power to redirect things when the strongest forces are coming against us. Proverbs 15 says it this way, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word just stirs up anger. You know, it is amazing as that proverb gives such wisdom, how that can be? You know, you can have someone with the you know harshest, meanest, nastiest, most, and and, and if you don't engage, you don't put the gloves on verbally. You're like, well, if you hit me, I'm hitting you. Or I just, I'm going If if you just use a soft answer, gracious. Don't worry about having to defend yourself. Just a soft answer. It's amazing. It takes two people to fight. I mean, it tr- it truly does. And God says a soft answer can turn away incredible wrath. I mean, if you just use words in a gracious, loving way, it's like putting water on a fire. It diffuses it because either the, the, the situation doesn't escalate more or what happens is it's like dumping coals of fire on your. They walk away and they feel so embarrassed and guilty that they you know, shredded you with their mouth and you did not do it in response to them. And so the conviction of that can come over a person and begin to subdue something. But he says a harsh word that just stirs up the anger. It just causes it to escalate. You know, we can use our speech to guide conversations where they go when you're talking to someone. Your tongue is like a little rudder in a ship and, and the person wants to talk about this or talk about that. Use your tongue and, and steer that conversation to something worthwhile to talk about. Steer it towards the Lord. Ask a question about something meaningful. We can steer conversations and we can guide people in right ways and lead them into the truth and help people. Or we can use our tongues and tongues are used and words are used at times as well to misguide people into wrong things, into error. People are taught false doctrine and people are misguided. Some people's lives are completely shipwrecked by somebody using their words to misguide someone spiritually or misguide them regarding a situation and lives are completely shipwrecked because someone was misguided. Whether it's a a conversation or a situation or relationship or maybe even just the status of a group of people, let us remember that we have incredible power to use our words, our speech, our tongue to steer things, to redirect things, and the impact, the incredible influence that can be you know, affected as a result of things being said. I would just encourage you, just for a brief moment, ponder by your own personal awareness of experience, individuals, families, situations, churches, societies, That have been incredibly impacted because somebody was using their mouth. And the huge impact, the lasting implications, the far reaching stretch of it. This little mouth, that's what mouth he says there, this little mouth, this tongue he says, it can do some really great things depending upon how it's used. What we say has incredible influence, and our words have a big impact on where things go in life. And God does not want us to forget that. It's so important we remember this, the huge impact, the power of our words. And we seek to be wise stewards, therefore. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18, a fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. It also tells us in Proverbs 18 as well. Listen to this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's strong death and life are in the power of the tongue our tongue has the power to impart life to help to heal someone and our tongue has the power to slay someone to put something to death and to destroy the life in a situation and to just completely put something to death well James follows a course now we see here this track of the destructive power of our speech going on in verse 5 he follows the destructive efforts of speech He says, verse five, even so the tongue's a little member and boasts great things. See then, he says, another illustration, how great a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, he says, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire, the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. So he uses another illustration here of the powerful influence and effect of our tongue and speech, like starting a fire and how a fire spreads a lot of times rapidly and it spreads and it goes completely out of control. He says there in verse 5, see how great a forest, a little fire can kindle. Uh, the picture there, of course, is you know just one spark, that's all it takes. Just one small little fire can develop and grow quickly and become an out-of-control fire, whether it's a forest fire or maybe a, you know, a spreading of house fires across the city, the great loss and destruction and damage that can happen as a result of what small, starts as a very small fire. You know, There's a story of history in 1871 in Chicago, the great fire that happened there in Chicago, and the result of that Chicago fire... Over 100,000 people were left homeless. 17,500 buildings destroyed. 300 people died. And in that day, the 1800s, it cost $400 million of damage. Do you know how that fire started? It's believed that it was started in the O'Leary barn. Here's the point. Who would have ever thought one little fire in just one little barn? could cause such widespread devastation. One little fire in one barn. Somebody's barn, some family's barn. One little fire and the devastation, the far-reaching impact. How many times, think of it, has a massive forest fire been traced back to one rude, selfish person who tossed a cigarette butt on the ground or didn't properly put out a campfire and get had no regard for others he says in the same way our text says in that same way the tongue is a fire he says it's a world of iniquity and it says right there in verse six, setting things on fire our words and speech can be like a fire listen even the smallest comments even the smallest comments or things that we say can be so damaging and cause such great destruction and have such far-reaching implications. Our words, like a devouring fire. Proverbs 26 says this. It says, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Translation, when people stop talking, problems cease. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no talebearer, that is someone who likes to pass along stories. Remember fairy tales? What were fairy tales? They weren't true stories. A talebearer is somebody who likes to pass along stories and ideas and information, and half the time it's not even accurate, it's not even true. But they like passing the tale along, and it says, where there is no talebearer, strife ceases, it goes away. It, it ends as charcoal to burning coals and wood to a fire so is a contentious man to kindle strife Proverbs 16.27 says an ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like burning fire interesting the analogies the Bible gives to us interesting an ungodly man digs up evil but does that not in some ways almost indicate a lot of what the media likes to do it seems does dig up evil And like a fire, like a dragon. Let's just just see how widespread we can make this go here because, you know, dig up something. And like a fire, it's on people's lips and it just sets things ablaze. Now, not only does our tongue have the potential to set things on fire, but please notice the end of verse six, this is powerful. The end of verse six, he says, our tongues don't just set things on fire. He says, the end of verse six, our tongues are set on fire by hell. Now, I put in my notes there, wow, that's really strong language. Our tongues are set on fire by hell. That is the lake of fire or hell seeks to ignite, listen, the sinful usage of the human tongue on this earth to bring about destruction. The implication is our tongue is one of the greatest tools of the forces of hell. It's one of the greatest tools. I believe personal conviction here when the powers of hell are looking for an effective weapon to harm and cause problems and destruction among humanity I believe when the powers of hell are looking for an effective weapon to harm humanity they look for someone's mouth to use and whether it's in a small scale or a large scale so many times that's how the devil's purposes and plans are orchestrated I mean just ponder it very simply think about it millions and millions and millions of Jews were innocently slaughtered because of what one mouth was saying. And it's spread. Think of the problems and the heartache and the, the, the issues that exist in our culture. What things are spread by words? Racism. Wars that have broken out on our planet divorces and family problems and church splits i mean reputations that have been ruined people's lives that have been destroyed you know an arsonist is someone who commits the crime of deliberately setting fires to destroy property you know what i think i think the devil is like an invisible arsonist And he's looking to start fires. And the way he starts his fires to cause devastation and ruin and destruction in lives and situations, he sets off those devastating fires by working through someone's mouth. And he gets a hold of someone's mouth and he begins to work through it, whether it's lies or misinformation or hurtful or cruel words. And the fire starts to blaze. James says here, the tongue is so set among our members, he says, that it actually, verse 6, he says, has the ability to defile the whole body. Now, and what's he mean by that? It's so set among our members, it defiles the whole body. Well, that could be a reference to polluting the whole body that is ruining a whole person's life, that when we speak, we have the ability to kind of just ruin our own lives sometimes by our own speech. Or it could be, maybe James was thinking about the idea of the body of Christ because of such a prominent place spoken words have, they have great influence. And because words have such a prominent role in life and existence, the effect of words never stay isolated. You ever notice that? They tend to just... They don't stay contained. They always spread and permeate like cancer. And he says this is the danger. A person's whole life can be ruined by the misuse of their own words. True? We see people who have ruined their whole life because of the misuse of their words. And we all know situations where sometimes unhealthy or damaging speech that was communicated in some way has an effect, let's say, on the whole body of Christ. And a whole church can be polluted or damaged or defiled as the result of just unhealthy things being spoken and it it just influences a whole group, a whole family, a whole assembly of people. And James says this is the danger of that. Look what he says verse 7. He says, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind so again he uses another analogy here the amazing ability as humans that we have that we have learned how to tame and control and subdue all these different species of animals on the planet I mean think of it the beasts of the earth we've been able to train we you know, we train dogs to do all kinds of things we, we train lions and tigers I mean he's, and we just with a little whip and some guy's crazy enough to get in the little ring with them there to give you circus performance and we, we, we train bears and these big beasts we train birds he says you know we, we train birds to do what get them to say things that we want them to say he says we we can train reptiles we control snakes you know, blown blow, blow. and here's this snake it's a cobra that thing's got poison in it and people train it so that it doesn't cause harm. It restricts them from attacking. Even he says we can tame large sea creatures. You know Shamu. And we go to you know, Sea World and stuff. And it blows a little beep, And then this big fish goes jumping. And James says this is phenomenal. He says we of human beings. He says we have learned how to control all these things. To subdue them and to master them. And and to you know, channel their strength and power but yet he says verse 8 but no man can tame the tongue no man can tame the tongue it truly seems like it's impossible experience shows it is impossible because we never bring it totally under control we always find even though we we try and gain control periodically I don't know about yours but mine sneaks out of its cage I blow the little whistle boop stop no I'm on, I don't want to jump out of the pool and it just, it just rebels. And so many times, you know, we, we wish we could, but it executes its own power and its idea and causes problems. Notice the word there, key word, no man can tame the tongue. Circle that word man. No man can tame the tongue. The wonderful thing is this. Jesus says what's impossible with man is possible with God. Do you know who can tame the tongue? God can only the miraculous supernatural power of the living god who can give to us the self-control as we depend upon him and the power of his holy spirit god is the only one who can tame a tongue you having trouble with your tongue god please you need to give me the power of your holy spirit you need to give me self-control lord tame my tongue somebody else's tongue been a little out of control lord would you tame their tongue please lord I've said, shut your mouth. They don't listen to me, God. (laughs) Could you put it in a cage for them, Lord? Could you do that, Lord? You have the power to do that, God. You created the mouth. We need to seek God for help with this. Psalm 141 says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to help. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep a watch over the door of my lips. And the reason why we need to do this is because it's rebellious and destructive if left to itself. James goes on to say, it is an unruly evil. It doesn't want to follow the rules. And it always ends up causing evil if it gets out of its cage. Look what he then says, full of deadly poison. Now that's an interesting analogy. The human tongue speech, full of, and then he says deadly poison. The image there is, is like a serpent. That, that strikes its victim with poisonous venom and the dangerous thing about deadly poison when it's injected by a serpent into its victim is it kind of usually works slowly and, and it has an ability to kind of just spread without anyone knowing and then all of a sudden it's too late once the damage has been done and let me just say as that picture is given by James there in the Bible I think the image is very fitting because when Satan is working in such a way like a serpent isn't that how he showed up the first time? And he's working in such a way inspiring, listen, sinful and poisonous speech like deadly venom. A lot of times, this is kind of how this happens. People, or sometimes we ourselves, we get drawn into listening to what's being said because maybe we're even just so captivated by what's being talked about or we're we're interested, it's, it's juicy and we, we get all caught up into it and we're listening and listening and all the while, do you know what's happening? As those words are going out, we are being infected with poison. And we're being poisoned in our minds and poisoned in our hearts and poisoned in our attitudes and all the while it's like being infected by the poison of those words and that poison we hear infects our system personally and it has all kinds of negative consequences. It affects our attitudes and perspectives and you know our decisions and, and it's like being infected with the poison of what was said because we heard it and it just was injected. Well, speaking of the tongue's impact and the activity he then verse 9 says with it we bless our god and father and with it we curse men who've been made in the similitude or image of god so in verse 9 he speaks of how our mouths can either be used for their highest purpose that's the obvious thing or they can be used for the lowest and worst purpose of all the highest purpose of using our mouth is for what Blessing god Worshiping God, praising God with our tongue. He says we bless God, we give him glory, whether it's offering him praise in prayer or through singing and worship like we do when we assemble as God's people and bless his name through song or speaking highly of God to someone else, communicating something good about God, the ways of God, proclaiming the truths of God, teaching his word. The best and highest use, ladies and gentlemen, for our mouths is to bless God. When you've worshipped God, when you've sang to God, when you've said something good of God, when you've spoken about God, that is the highest use of the reason your mouth was created. And he says on the other side of that, the lowest purpose and use for our mouth is when we speak harm of those that God has created and that he loves. That with our mouth, he says we can use our mouth to curse men God created in his image. That is, we use our words in a destructive way, in a damaging way to hurt people's lives in some capacity. He says that's the worst possible use of our mouth. Well, look how he concludes verse 10 to 12. He says, out of the same mouth, he then says, proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things not ought to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Implied answer, no. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? The idea is no. A grapevine bear figs? No, that's inconsistent. Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh he's speaking here of the error of inconsistency in our speech and he says in the same way in nature a spring doesn't send forth two different kinds of water a plant doesn't produce two different kinds of fruit he says then why verse 10 if that's the case then why out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing he pictures the mouth like the opening of a spring and there being an inconsistent flow coming from the source. And he says, th- This is, is not healthy. Sometimes fresh drinking water comes out that honors God, other times it is bitter, unhealthy water. And he says, Verse 10, My brethren, these things ought not to be so. That's inconsistency, he says. That shouldn't mark our speech. As God's people, we should not be in one instance praising the Lord and talking about the Lord and then in the next hour turning around and using our mouths in unhealthy ways. And he says here, if and when we're doing this, that's a sinful inconsistency. And he says, verse 10, these things, my brethren, believers he's speaking to, these things, if it's happening, ought not to be so. This ought not to be happening if there's this inconsistency. So if that's an area we see in our lives at times, what James is simply saying, it needs to change. We need to address this. This is an inconsistency that is sinful and wrong and we need to change and the path to change is to address, listen, the source. Jesus said out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the source of the issue, if there's inconsistency in our speech, the source of the issue is not the tongue. You can bite your tongue till blood comes out. The source of the issue is my heart. My mouth is just the opening for the spring. Proverbs 4 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues, the springs of life. Sometimes what we need to do is come to the Lord and say, Lord, the heart of the matter here, is the matter of my heart. Change my heart, Lord. Because I don't like what I've been doing with my mouth at times, Lord. There's inconsistency and I want it to change. So change my heart, Lord. Change my heart. And he'll be faithful to do that. Would you pray with me?